If you can't tell, I do get excited about Sunday mornings. Well, we're in the second week. I'm spitting two already. That's a good sign. I'm in the second week of our sermon series on the book of Daniel, where we're actually talking about overcoming the overwhelming. How many have ever had an overwhelming time in your life? Well, God knew that was going to happen from the beginning of creation. We've all had overwhelming circumstances in our lives. I've told many of you this before, but when I started preaching in this town, many of you knew me already. Many of you knew that I had been divorced, I had married and divorced, I had failed at marriage. Uh, in a lot of church cultures, that's a no-no uh, for a preacher that has had that happen, for him to be able to stand behind a church pulpit is a no-no. It's out of the question. It was kind of, I'll say, the unpardonable sin for a pastor or for a preacher to have been married and divorced. But let me just tell you, God called me to minister. I kept reminding him he had the wrong guy when I started. I kept reminding him of all of my mess-ups, and he still told me to preach. He still called me to preach. So when I preach, I try to be open and honest. I try to be as transparent as I can to reveal my mess-ups, my failures, my blunders, my shortcomings. In the beginning, that's exactly what I did when I started preaching. I just wanted to be open and honest. But I had a few, and I say just a couple in the church that at that time didn't quite see it that way. They had the attitude that, hey, Pastor, um, there are just certain things that you probably shouldn't talk about or even admit to when you're behind the pulpit. Pastor, don't talk about the messy parts of your life. That happened. Those people are no longer coming to Victory Church, but I will say this. I didn't kick them out. They just left. But I will say this. Um, all of us have messy parts of our life. All of us have messy areas in our lives. And I think the church has far too long tried to cover up the messiness in our lives. In humanness, there's messiness. Amen? We fall short every day. So I think the church has tried to cover it for far too long. That was the attitude of the church back then, and some, and some maybe today, that if something is messy, church isn't supposed to talk about those kind of things. I think the problem is some people come to church just to make an appearance. They just kind of come to show up at church, make an appearance, and sometimes, maybe not with the right attitude, their goal is not to celebrate Jesus, although that was the goal of the first church, the uh, original church, where their whole thing revolved around one man that was dead, came back to life. You know who I'm talking about. And there's supposed to be some celebration in that. There's supposed to be some grace in that. And in case you don't realize it, there is grace in it because every one of us in this place today has messed up even this week. Amen? And God has shown us His grace. To take it further, sometimes we're actually supposed to show up at church and really get a swift kick in the seat of the pants. Believe it or not, we need it sometimes. How many would say amen to that? Not as many, right? But in a lot of church cultures, it's simply a matter of showing up, making an appearance, looking good. And the problem with a lot of church people is they think church people have to be perfect people, so when they come into church, they only expect to see perfect people. That's not the way it is. We've learned in church that if everything is not awesome in your life, just pretend it is. Amen? 
Just pretend it's awesome. Just fake it. And I know I do say fake it till you make it, but I'm talking about if you're, if you're awkward in your emotions toward God, just keep doing it. That's what I'm talking about. But our goal a lot of times as a church, I'm saying worldwide, is not to come in and hear about Jesus. Our goal a lot of times is to come in and pretend that everything is hunky-dory in our lives. Everything is great in our life. We fake it. We pretend. And then if we can't fake it anymore because we get found out, a couple of things happen. A lot of times people stop welcoming you into the church more that, uh, the more they know about you. And then sometimes you get the hint and you just decide, I'm leaving this church. And the sad part is a lot of people never go back to another church. You know, the sad part is many of church people don't want you to talk about real issues, especially the things going on in their life. And in fact, today, if I wanted to set, upset the apple cart in this place, I could talk about one of two topics. People lose their dang mind over these topics. They go crazy over these topics, sex and money. Already some of you are thinking, you shouldn't talk about that in church. That's the attitude of some people. But in the 22 years that I've been ministering, over 80% of the problems that I have dealt with are problems that people have that deal with sex and money. What's that tell you? It's an important issue. Oh, people want to talk to you about that in private, face-to-face, but they don't want you to talk about it uh, from the pulpit. I've got a little graphic I want to show you here that tells the whole story. It's a simple graphic. Look at the graphic. Uh, On the left side of this cross, you've got the word lost. You've got the word saved on the right side of the cross. And in the middle, you've got the word Jesus, the name Jesus. Let me tell you, that cross tells the whole story. If you're on the left side of that cross, you are lost. If you're on the left side of that cross, you don't have Jesus. If you're on the left side of that cross, you're actually hopeless. Your life is without hope. You might be saying, and I'm sure you're saying, I have some issues, I have some problems that are definitely overwhelming. This side of the cross, the left side, is not what you, about what you do have. It's about what you don't have. And let me tell you, it's more about who you don't have, and you don't have Jesus. And without Jesus, you're going to be struggling with issues. You're going to be struggling with situations, overwhelming circumstances. And believe me, eternity is going to stink for you if you're on that side of the cross. Because our biggest need in life is and always will be a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I know that out of personal experience because I spent way too much time on the wrong side of the cross. On the left side of the cross. On the lost side of the cross. And believe me, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying I've been there. And it's not a nice place to be, a good place to be. But then guess what? When we meet Jesus Christ, we invite him into our heart. We know what happens. Through Jesus, we move from the left side of the cross over to the right, from the lost side over to the safe side of the cross. But the misconception with a lot of Christians in this church world is that when we get to the right side of the cross, the safe side of the cross, everything is perfect. Life is going to be easy. Everything is just going to fall in place day after day. We have this misconception that we're going to go around riding on unicorns, eating lucky charms, singing happy songs all day long, zippity-doo-dah, zippity-eight, my oh my, what a wonderful day. The only problem is that's not reality. That's not truth. That's not even the case. The crazy thing is that some people on the saved side of the cross, believe it or not, and hear me out on this, can end up more messed up than some of the people on the left side of the cross. Think about that for a minute. Yeah, we're saved from our penalty of sin. The Bible tells us that. 
But we bring that presence of sin with us onto the other side of the cross. The things that we used to do on the wrong side of the cross, we end up doing on the right side of the cross. Basically, when you think about it, we pack up our spiritual U-Haul and we pack it all in and we bring it over. Amen? We don't want to admit to that, but we do that all the time. So if you think the right side of this cross is a perfect side, it is by being in Jesus, but you're still going to have some messiness on the right side of the cross. The goal on this side of the cross, the right side of the cross, is not to be perfect. That was never the intended goal of being on that side of the cross. The intended goal is to fall in love with Jesus more and more every day of your life. That's God's intention that we draw closer to Him. Our walk of faith is a walk of faith. It's a journey to draw closer and closer to Him. Are you tracking with me this morning? Somebody say amen for me. One of, the things, one of the things that is a huge problem in our culture that we do not talk about and don't want to talk about is depression. Did you know that in our country, in the past few years, depression medication has gone up over 400%? 400%! What's that tell us? We are living in the richest but yet the most depressed country in the world. And do you realize depression can affect every one of us? It can affect anyone, even preachers. Maybe some of you heard the tragic story of a young uh, a junior pastor uh, of a mega church, assistant pastor Jared Wilson, only 30 years old this past week. Jared was a, a man that loved the Lord. He had a heart to serve. He loved God. He loved people. He loved serving. He lo loved helping others. Jared also repeatedly struggled with depression. And he was very open about his struggles. He wanted especially to help those that were contemplating suicide. Tragically, just this past week, Jared took his own life. 30 years old. I even saw a picture of him, how he was baptizing people the week earlier and it looked like everything was perfect in his life. It broke his senior pastor's heart, Greg Laurie, a great man of God. Senior pastor of Harvest Church, where Jared served, said this. He said, Jared and his wife, Julie, founded an outreach to help people dealing with depression and suicidal thoughts called Anthem of Hope. Sometimes people may think that as pastors or spiritual leaders, we are somehow above the pain and struggles of everyday people. We are the ones who are supposed to have all the answers, but we do not. At the end of the day, pastors are just people who need to reach out to God for his help and strength each and every day. He goes on to say, over the years, I have found that people speak out about what they struggle with the most. Isn't that true? People speak out and get passionate about sometimes what they struggle with themselves the most. Depression is a very real issue in our culture for sure. But do you realize it was way back in biblical days? Way back from the beginning, great men of God suffered from depression. One I can think of off the top is Moses. Think about Moses. He was having a conversation with God in Numbers chapter 11, verses 14 and 15. And these are Moses' words to God. Listen to what he says. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, God, please go ahead and just kill me. That was Moses. Believe it or not, that was Moses, this called man of God, this great man of God, this great leader of God, dealing with depression. How about Elijah? Many of you have heard of the great prophet Elijah who called down fire from heaven, who had just conquered 450 prophets of Baal. 
He gets into a scuffle with wicked Queen Jezebel. Uh, she comes chasing after him, and he goes running away from her. But listen to what he says in Second or First Kings chapter nineteen, verses four and five. He says, "While him, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord," he said. Take my life, I am no better than my ancestors. Then it says, he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. I want you to be honest with me this morning. How many of you have ever been there? How many of you have ever said that? How many of you have ever been at the end of your wits and you said, God, I just can't handle this anymore. I can't take another day of this, Lord. I would say every one of us in here on some level someday has had that feeling. But think about who's telling us about this feeling. This is one of the greatest men, the greatest prophets of God ever, who has seen and done more miracles than probably all the other prophets, Elijah, and he's saying this. He's depressed. How about Jonah? He doesn't even beat around the bush. Listen to what Jonah says in Jonah chapter 4, verse 3. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. He was depressed. How about the Apostle Paul, who wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8? He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, and get this, far beyond our ability to endure, which let me stop there a minute. I think that blows up that thought that God will never put on us more than we can handle. Paul blows that out of the water. But listen to this. He says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Paul was in some dire straits, amen? He was in some real problems, having some real issues. Right there, I've only told you about four of them, but four of the godliest men in Scripture dealt with depression. Uh, in a few weeks, we're going to talk about anxiety and worry and fear, but today I want to drill down on this subject that I think is so important in our culture today, this topic of depression. And I'm going to set it up in Daniel chapter 2. We covered chapter 1 last week. Last week, we talked about how God is great, God is able, but in Daniel chapter 2, we're going to look at this guy. He was a king named King Nebuchadnezzar. He was a very unstable king, a very unstable leader. But back then, if you didn't like a king, you didn't vote him out of office. Uh, you found someone to take him out of office, basically. I mean, they would kill their kings. So just imagine the insecurities that King Nebuchadnezzar must have felt, looking over his shoulder every day, wondering who was trying to take him out. And there was a long line, so he was a very insecure king. And also back in those days, if a king had a dream, it meant something, usually meant something. It meant that God was usually trying to send him a message. Now in today's world, I still believe that God can deal with us and get messages to us and through dreams and visions. I do believe that. But I want to say this, if you had a dream last night that you were being chased by a giant burrito, maybe you need to stop eating at Los Potros before you go to bed. Amen? Just simple as that. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and it freaked him out. And his astrologers came in, his wise men came in, his enchanters came in, surrounded him, and normally whenever the king would have a dream, they would come in, surround him, say, King, what's the problem? What's the dream? We'll interpret it for you. Well, the king this particular night has this terrifying dream, doesn't have a clue what it means. It's freaking him out. He calls his enchanters, his astrologers, his wise men in. 
They surround him, but he says, hey, guys, today we're going to do something a little bit different. I had a dream, and it's freaking me out. But this time, I don't want you to just interpret it for me. I want you to tell me that dream. And so he says, uh, and if you don't, I'm going to kill all of you. Nice guy, right? Nice guy. It's a little extreme, but he meant every word of it. Look what it says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 10. This was the reaction of the astrologers and the wise men. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they don't even live among the humans. Let me just say they hadn't heard of Jesus yet. Amen? That would have blown that out of the water. Verse 12, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Now, if you remember from last week, Daniel had been through it, and I imagine, I imagine by right now he's getting pretty frustrated, pretty uptight. Uh, in chapter 1, it was all about, I'm not going to drink your wine, I'm not going to uh, eat your food, and I'm not going to bow down to your Babylonian gods. And think about it, I'm sure Daniel's thinking, I wasn't even around when this fool smarted off to the king, so why is he after me? But the king says, no, I'm going to come and I'm going to kill all the wise men of Babylon, which Daniel and his buddies were part of those now. I can just imagine those guys sent to Daniel's house, knocking on the door and says, hey, buddy, how you doing? We're here to kill you. Amen. <laughs> Daniel's probably in uh, thinking, for the love of God, are you kidding me? What in the world's going on? Daniel's in the middle of, to say the least, a very frustrating, overwhelming situation or circumstance. And I'll say this, all of us have been there, some of us are there, and a lot of us are headed there, amen? And you know what I'm talking about. We can relate to that. But how did we get there in the first place? I'll give you a few ways if you're taking notes this morning. The first one is by having an unrealistic pace. By having an unrealistic pace in the life that you live every day. Anybody here like to go fast? Yeah, you can admit it in the church. We've got a few officers, but they're not writing down names. Amen. We like to go fast. We like to speed. I know we didn't have many takers on that one. You're all a bunch of liars. I know that. Cheryl and I laughed because a couple years ago during VBS, every time we would come out and pull out of our driveway getting ready to go down to VBS early in the morning, uh, we would... Uh, get ready to pull out of our road, and we would see this minivan, same time every day, screeching down the road, gravels flying, there's a wake of dust behind the minivan, the, the weeds and the grass are bending over beside of the road, going 100 miles an hour down the road. Well, later on, we laughed because we found out it was one of our VBS helpers just trying to get there on time. <laughs> it looked like she was going Mach 2 with her hair on fire. If she had a tachometer in that minivan, you'd have seen that needle in the red. And if that needle stays in the red very long, if you know anything about engines, you're going to blow up your engine. Amen? And if you keep that needle in the red too long, basically, in the end, you're going to eventually hit a wall. Something I have discovered, and maybe you haven't yet, but life is a beautiful place. Life can be a very beautiful place in a beautiful world, but sad to say many of us don't notice it because we're going way too fast to notice. 
I heard a saying one time that said, only when we slow down to see the beauty can we experience the intimacy. The reason I think we don't have a lot of intimacy in marriages today is because couples don't slow down to see the beauty in each other, to see the beauty in their relationship. I think the reason we don't have a whole lot of intimacy with God today is because we don't slow down to see the beauty in our relationship with Him. My wife Cheryl gets upset with me sometimes because I'm always working. I work a lot. I love to work, not only spiritually, but physically down here at the church a lot of times. I always use the excuse, well, I've got to do what I can, Cheryl. You know, I've got to keep things ready to, for people to meet uh, Jesus. And by the way, Cheryl, the devil never takes a day off. <laughs> well, one day she looked at me and she said, Dwayne, uh, I think you should stop comparing and using him as your example. Amen. <laughs> She's got a point there. But I think when it comes to rest, go all the way back to Exodus 20 when God laid out the Ten Commandments for Moses. Do you know what commandment he spent the most amount of time explaining? The one on rest. He spent more time on rest than he did a lot of the other uh, commandments. Um, it was that important. And do you realize when you read the scriptures and you think about the last week of Jesus' life, I'd say it's a pretty busy week. The last week of Jesus' life, he took time to rest, especially upon the Sabbath. He took time to rest. And he had this big honking to-do list to accomplish in that last week, yet he still took time to rest. Let me tell you, in our fast-paced, busy, Mach 2 world we live in, we've got to take time to rest. And I think because we're going Mach 2 with our hair on fire through life a lot of times, it keeps us from seeing the beauty that God has placed all around us. It's keep, it keeps us from being who He wants us to be in life. We're so busy and we're going so fast that we don't notice God's goodness. That's our world. Amen? And who can change that? Oh, God could change it, but He's not going to change it. We have to change it. We're the one that has to start setting the boundaries and say, I'm going to gear it down. I'm going to slow it down and I'm going to pay attention to the things that need to be paid attention to. Second way we put ourselves in overwhelming circumstances and depressing situations is by having an unrealistic expectations expectation of others. Do you realize you can expect too much of other people sometimes? Think about that. When we get into a depressed condition or state of mind, what do we do when things are falling apart and going wrong? Our natural instinct is to start pointing our fingers at everybody else, find somebody else to blame. You know, we hear people say, if you'd have just encouraged me more, it wouldn't have turned out this way. If you'd have just affirmed me more, it wouldn't have turned out this way. If you'd have just done this or done that, things would have been all different. Think about being the husband or wife that hears that every day. Or people might say, uh, if the people at my workplace, uh, people at my school, my wife, my family, my friends, my neighbors, if they would just change, my life would be a whole lot better. Why is that? Because we've developed an unrealistic expectation of others. You know what happens when we do that? We get disappointed. People are always going to disappoint you. I mean, I disappoint myself, but... People are always going to disappoint you, and when you get disappointed enough, you get depressed. The third thing, if you're taking notes, is having an unrealistic desire to be liked by everyone. This is a biggie for me, because I'm a people person. I want people to like me. It's just my nature. I want people to like me, and, and I don't hold grudges, uh, but I hate the thought of somebody hating me. Uh, I'm not perfect, no matter what Cheryl says. I'm not perfect. I'm not an angel no matter what Cheryl says. 
I know I'm not perfect. You know I'm not perfect. I've said some things. I've done some things that I deeply regret. But you can bet that if I know something is wrong, I'm doing everything in my power to make it right. It doesn't always work out that way, but I do everything that I can to make it right. Because I, because I hate the feeling that somebody might not like me. Somebody might even hate me out there. And aside from my mistakes, let me tell you who I really am. Who I really am. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a guy that was on his way to hell, and God, by His grace, stepped in, sent His Son Jesus Christ to die on the cross to change me, to make me brand new again. And if you know Jesus Christ, He's done the same thing for you. We ought to give Him more glory. We ought to give Him more praise. We ought to give Him more honor for the things that He has done for us. And every day, and I mentioned this last week, I believe, in the Scriptures, His tender mercies are poured out on you and me as we follow Him each and every day. I want to not only experience that, but I want everyone to experience that kind of grace. And I know if I want that for all of you, God wants it all the more. So when you're depressed, a very real issue, it's a combination of two things. Number one, if you're taking notes, it's what's happened to you. What's happened to you in your life? Maybe in your younger days, you were hurt, you were wounded, you were abused physically, spiritually, uh, emotionally. Uh, you were hurt, you were wounded. And my message to you today is not, hey, get over it. I would never tell you that because these were very real hurts that go so deep that there's soul wounds in you that carry a lot of baggage that just don't come out just like that. So I'm not going to tell you to get over it. But it is about what's happened to you, but it's not only left there. It's also about the choices we make. And it's not one or the other, it's both. It's what's happened to you for sure, but it's also about the choices we make. And if all of us were honest, we've made some pretty bad choices along the way in our lives. But if you want to get out of depression, let me say it's going to have to have a whole lot to do with the choices you make. Did you hear me? And it may sound harsh to you today, but you've got to stop playing the victim when it comes to depression. You've got to stop, even if it's a very real issue, you've got to stop claiming it and saying, I am depressed, I am so depressed, I'm just depressed. Because if you say that enough, even if you aren't, pretty soon you will be. Because the Bible even says our words have the power to create. Whatever we confess, you confess it long enough and strong enough, it's going to come into being. How did Daniel get out of his depressed state? I'll tell you. If you're taking notes, by stop, he stopped denying it. Denial is not helpful. Denial is hurtful. I'm going to pick on some of you. How many of you have ever had that little check engine light come on in your car? Yeah, you don't want to admit it. In fact, some of you have taken a piece of black uh, electrical tape and put over that check engine light. It's trying to tell you to check your engine, amen? It's trying to tell you to check things out. And how about the low gas gauge indicator light? How'd that work out for you when you ignored that? I'll tell you how it worked out, probably by a very long walk somewhere, amen? What I'm trying to say, if you're denying the state that you're in or the situation you're in, you're not only fooling yourself, but you're affecting everyone around you. You're affecting your family, your friends, and everyone around you. I love Daniel and his response when he got into hard times. He didn't try to deny his problems. He didn't say, well, the king's not going to kill me. I wasn't even around that day. He didn't say that. Look what he does. Daniel chapter 2, verse 14. 
It says, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king. Let me stop there. That took some guts. For him, as a wise man of Babylon that has just been issued a decree that he's going to kill all the wise men, goes in before this king that wants to kill him, and he asked for time from the king so that he might interpret the dream for the king. Daniel, I think in my heart, I can hear him saying, I'm not going out like this. Daniel did not deny the problem. He stepped up and he took care of business. You realize you can't go through life denying the problems because if you do and when you do, what do you do? You put yourself on the express lane to depression land, to depressionville. You make it happen all the quicker. We can't deny our problems, I'm saying, people. No matter what it is, we have to deal with it. Deal with it and take care of it with God's strength and with God's hand. Uh, a second point, you can't do life alone. This text is really interesting because Daniel, he's one of the strongest men in the Bible, whether you realize that or not. He is known as a major prophet. And after Daniel faced his problems and he didn't deny his problems, look at the first thing he does in verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends. Where'd he go? He went immediately to his good friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he, heard, he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Get this. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. Think about who this is telling us this story, helping write this story. It's Daniel, one of the strongest men in Scripture, had a revelation, realized that he couldn't do life alone, and he goes immediately to his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says, hey guys, I'm stressed out. I'm in an overwhelming situation. My life is on the line, and by the way, guys, yours is too. They didn't criticize him. They didn't judge him. They didn't throw rocks at him. What did they do? They got down on their knees. And they sought God together. They got down on their knees and prayed together and overcame the problem. That should help us to realize and understand that you and I need each other. You realize that? You and I desperately need each other. We have to have community in our lives. I want to take a moment to press down on the guys in the place because we live in a macho world and some of you I know are probably thinking you've got some real issues in your life and I don't have anybody to get honest with. I don't have anybody to air my dirty laundry to. I don't have anybody to, to tell my problems to. Let me tell you and point out right now, you've got one here and you've not only got one, you've probably got the guy sitting right next to you, the people sitting around you because we need each other. We can't do life alone. You and I can't do life alone. Well, Daniel realized he couldn't do life alone. And to take it a step further, do you realize Jesus couldn't even do life alone? Remember when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, one of the most trying moments of his life before his execution? Did he go alone? No. If you know the Scriptures, he took Peter, James, and John, his three inner circle guys, and he says, guys, come with me. And he says, guys, you got to pray. He says, my soul is grieved to the point of death. Jesus realized he needed people. Jesus realized that. So even the Son of God gives us the example that we can't do life alone. That's why we need church. Amen? That's why we need each other. God never meant for us to go through life alone. 
And I'm telling you this right now, Victory Church is, has been, and always will be a church where you can come in and you can admit, and we can admit to each other, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay in this place. If you've got a pastor that's honest about his past, his failures, his blunders, his sins, then it's okay for you to not be okay. I'm not saying it's okay for any of us to stay that way, but I'm saying it's okay to be that way. And we're not going to judge you. We're not going to condemn you. We're not going to pick on you. We're not going to make fun of you. We're going to lift you up. We're going to pray for you. We're going to encourage you. We're going to help you by God's grace to pull through and pull you through your problems because we cannot do life alone. No matter how strong we are, we cannot do life alone. And we not only need him, this ought to be shouting loud and clear to you. You need your neighbor. You need a person sitting next to you in church. We can't stand alone. We have to stand together. The third way of overcoming depression, the last point, the solution is God's plan. If you're looking for a solution to a problem, you, real, you need to realize it's in God's hands and it's in God's plans. You know, we can ask God to pull us out of a situation, out of some overwhelming circumstances, and he can, and sometimes he does. A lot of times he doesn't. I said it last week, he doesn't always pull us out of the situation, he'll pull us through, or he'll lead us uh, through the situation. I believe we've got to have a desire not for God to pull us out of every situation. That's our human nature. But I believe we have to have the patience to realize that God might be working something bigger out in this whole situation, this overwhelming circumstance, and have the patience to let him lead us through it. Because I really believe that uh, we need to desire repentance and a closeness with him more than we need relief. Oh, we'll do anything and everything for relief, but we need to desire repentance more than relief. Many times we want God just to say poof, and it's gone. Many times we wait for God to change our spouse, our family, or our friends, when all the time, if we'd pay attention to what's God saying, I don't want to change them, I need to change you. So our prayer ought to be, God, change my heart. Change my heart. Find those broken places in me that I can't even see and fix them, God. We don't need more hugs. Hugs are great. We need to humble ourselves before a mighty God confess our sins and say, God, I need your help. Fix what's wrong inside of me. It could be pride issues. It could be anger issues, unforgiveness. It could be issues on worrying about what everybody thinks about us. You know, the fastest way to lose track of what God thinks about you is to start focusing on what people think about you, what man thinks about you. You're going to lose total track of what matters the most. If we're worried about what so-and-so thinks of me, then I'm not worried about what God thinks of me. Amen? If I start worrying about what God thinks about me, then he'll put me in the right place, the right frame of mind to become the right person, that it doesn't matter what they think of me. It only matters what the King of kings and the Lord of lords thinks of me. And I'm standing up here saying, I know what my God can do because he has done miracles in my life. And I'm not preaching out of hurt today. I'm preaching out of hope today. Because I know what my God can do, and I read it through and through in the Scriptures, what he did for Daniel. And by the way, what he did for Daniel, he gave him a revelation of who he was. God gave Daniel a brand new revelation of who he was in his life. Daniel talks about this revelation. You can tell God has revealed himself by his words in, starting in verse 20. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. 
He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we have asked of you. You have made known to me, to us, the dream of the king. So they bowed down together and they prayed and God answered their prayer. Let me tell you, church, the great news is that today before you leave this place, you can have a closer relationship with God than you've ever had in your life. Don't cut yourself short. You can have a closer walk with him by one moment of prayer, by one moment of focusing on him, letting him be all that he wants to be in your life. So today I'm just saying right now, if you're going through an overwhelming circumstance, God is here. God is here right now. Oh, he could immediately pull you out of what you're going through, but chances are he won't. Chances are he's not going to, but he's not going to leave you nor forsake you. He's going to be with you every step of the way. And I believe this. Sometimes it's all because God wants to save you and me from you and me. He wants to save us from ourselves. Do you realize that you and I can be our own worst enemy? So if you're struggling with something today, just remember, if God can bring me out of situations he's brought me out, if he can bring Daniel out of so many things he's brought him out of, Moses, and I don't mean to put myself in their their category at all, but if he can bring us out, he can bring you out. He can pull you through. He can lead you through. And it doesn't matter if you've been in that condition for three years or 30 years, God wants to bring you through. God wants to bring you out. And it's all because our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ lives on the inside of you and me if you've confessed Him as Lord. And He wants to bring you out today where you can walk out with your head up, not with pride, but with thanksgiving to God and say, He delivered me. He saved me. He rescued me from my situation. He wants to lead every one of us out of whatever we're dealing with. And whether we want to deny it or not, we're all dealing with issues. We're human beings. We need Him every day to lead us out. And it all comes with trusting Him. Do you realize that only with God can He use our pain for our gain? Only with, We've heard that saying, but really, truly, God can use our pain for His gain. He can use our pain for His purpose. And He can use our pain for our progress. God wants the best for you today. Maybe you're here today and you feel lonely inside. Maybe you feel lost inside. Maybe you feel like you're broken beyond repair. You're not. Jesus went to the cross and shed his own blood to pay for our brokenness, to pay for our sins, to pay for our mess-ups. I'm so thankful that he loved me. I'm so thankful that he didn't look at my sin. He looked at me. And he looked at me through the eyes of love, a love that we can't even compare in our world that we live in. The love of God goes so much deeper. A love that came out of heaven, sent His Son to the cross to hang brutally, uh, executed on a cross, shedding His blood. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. You realize He loves you that much. Could you stand to your feet this morning? God wants good things for every one of us in this place. I know that without a doubt. But it takes a little repentance. It takes a little surrender. It takes a little bit of uh, getting rid of me and letting Him come in. Father, with every head bowed, every eye closed, help us to trust You. We need You. 
We can't do life alone without you, and we can't do life alone without each other. Help us to overcome our overwhelming situations in our lives with your strength. Lord, I pray for anyone here that's struggling with depression, a very real problem, Lord. I pray you'd help them to rest in you and let your peace just wash over them even right now. Replace their discouragement with your hope. Give them a deeper understanding of who you are, who you want to be in our lives, and how you want to do greater things in our lives. Father, open our hearts to allow you to step in, to be Lord and King. Step in to take charge and control of our lives. I thank you, Lord God, for your love that surrounds this congregation this morning. And as we leave from this place, Lord, I know that you're going with us. Lead us and guide us this week alone to be your hand and your heart to the world around us. We love you. Let this message, the words that your word says, never return void. Accomplish what you want to do in each one of our hearts. Let us become who you've called us to be, your church, your bride, your people. In Jesus' name I pray. And if you believe that, say amen with me. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week in Jesus.